0: I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty so that you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... The Great Emu War. What is the Great Emu War? Well, it was a military campaign undertaken by the Australian government in the later part of 1932. This seemingly farcical endeavor was enacted to curb a public concern over the rampant population of emus that were destroying crops and causing chaos in the Campion district of the Wheat Belt of Western Australia. To make things even stranger, despite the Royal Australian Artillery being armed to the teeth and sent out with one simple mission destroy those fucking emus, the Australian government lost. A brilliant pun turning emu into emu coming. That doesn't really work. (laughs) Emu coming. Emu, you were going to do some shit like that. War is hard. War is long. And after World War I, no one thought it could get any worse than that. And then the Great Emu War broke out. Following World War I, a large number of veterans were granted land by the Australian government to take up farming. These farms were mainly located within the Western regions of Australia. And frankly, the land these newly christened farmers were given sucked. With the onset of the Great Depression in 1929, the farmers were encouraged to grow wheat. In fact, the Australian government offered to help the veterans grow wheat by supplying them with governmental subsidies, aid, and supplies. But you know. That just didn't happen. The Australian government basically said, do it and we'll help. And then Homer Simpsoned into a bush. Good (laughs) day. Good day, mate. This is going to be one of many different instances in which the Australian government promises things to its citizens and then just uh, decides to go do other things.
1: That's not government assistance. That's government assistance.
0: I was shocked repeatedly, though, when going through this and doing the research for this story, how many times the government was like, no, we got your back. We got your back. All right. All right. All right. Now nah, we don't got this. We don't got this. Bye. 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 Later. Good day. Good day." And then just like left people high and dry. Sounds like a typical Aussie. Am
1: I right? Our New Zealand listeners? Oh, three of them. There's at least three. Yeah, there's literally, I think we've. If you reach at least one with your
0: message. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. The Australian government's lack of assistance was partially due to wheat prices starting to crater. In October of 1932, things were getting worse because the farmers were threatening to refuse to deliver any wheats they had been contracted to buy, which, you know, just made everyone even more upset. Emus, like many types of birds, migrate depending on the season of year. During breeding season, they typically migrate to warmer climates. And guess what Western Australia is? That shit is warm. Thus, the farmers' lives were made exponentially harder by approximately 20,000 emus materializing almost overnight. They poured in from every direction, from the inlands mainly, though, to the
1: coasts. Okay, so I gotta we, we got to talk about this right here, right now. Have you ever seen an emu or an ostr- ostrich up close?
0: There is an emu farm or no, there's an ostrich farm in on the outskirts of Tucson, and it's named after a Rooster Cogburn, but I've never
1: been there. Have you? Yes. So there's a rooster farm on the outskirts of Solvang, California, which is a, a small town about ninety minutes away from Los Angeles. And it's the whole thing is that it's like a Dutch town. It's like you go there and it's a bunch of Dutch food and traditional Dutch buildings, and it's like a little tourist location. And there's an there's an ostrich farm outside of it. I don't know what it's called, but I'm assuming it's named after fucking Buster Keaton or some shit. Uh, so you look at it, you look at an ostrich. And ostriches and emus. You you see them. You're like, oh, they're like these little. There's these like bird guys, and they got the little you know the feather duster tails, and they're kind of adorable, and they got those long legs and those big long necks, and they kind of look. They got these big eyes, and they kind of look dumb, like they kind of look like spacey with the way their like facial expressions are. You have a a very specific idea of how you feel about ostriches from seeing them in videos and pictures. When you see an ostrich or an emu up close, they're fucking terrifying. (laughs) They're giant monsters. How tall are they? They're like really tall, right? They're like six feet tall. Yeah, emus are a little shorter, but like they're both like they're ostriches like easily two, three heads taller than me. So taller than six feet. I'm six, three emu or uh, emus and ostriches, like they got to be seven foot, something like that. And like you like there's there is a fundamentally different experience when you get up close to one of them, because at this emu farm, it's like literally like a little balcony. And the whole thing is you feed them. So they just walk right up to you. It's not like looking at them through a cage or through a fence or something. They just walk up to you. They're on this little farm and they're giant. And they're, they're like fucking dinosaurs. Like, they're just li- literally dinosaurs. I mean, they are literally dinosaurs. The dinosaurs evolved into birds, basically. And these are the most, like, evident of that transition. They just look like these giant fucking raptors, basically. Like, emus look like raptors. And they're freaking scary because, like, not only are they huge and monstrous, but, like, they look like they're going to f- murder you. And not in like an angry way, like an aggressive way, like when you see like an aggressive dog that barks at you in a way of like, they're just going to watch you bleed and then enjoy it. Like they have this crazed look on their face.
0: Everything you said makes me never want to meet an emu or an ostrich.
1: After you get a, after you get used to it, they're pretty cool. Like I enjoyed it. But when we first went out there, I was like, oh, yeah, ostriches. We go out there. I hold the little food thing up. The ostriches, the ostrich and emu start coming towards me. And at first I'm like, oh, yeah. And then the moment that they got, like, within my personal space, like, you ever you ever see that that outtake from Shaun of the Dead um, where uh, Simon Pegg, there's a scene where he's climbing up on top of this, like, concrete thing and all the zombies are, like, coming in towards him. And in the outtake, like, while they were shooting the scene, something about that, like, triggered something in him. Like, he had, like, vertigo or it just freaked him out, the idea of, like, hundreds of people coming at him. And he was just like, whoa, whoa, stop, cut, cut. Like, and it it like, it like triggered something deep within him that freaked him out. That's what happened whenever this, when this ostrich walked up to me, I was like, whoa, like the fuck, these things are fucking scary. And then eventually I got used to it. And, you know, I, I love animals, so they, they were great. But like, they're just not what you would think. Of, they're not what you expect when you see them in a picture. They are like, they are these like fucking, they're dinosaurs. They're just these giant monsters that are like scary at, a, at, a, at an evolutionary level. You want to run away from them. Is there a version of that experience of like,
0: you don't expect something to pivot an internal mechanism in you, but it does for like erotic content? Like you're like, listening to a podcast by two people that seem like normal humans and then one of them says that they're 6'3 and then you just have like an immediate like sexually charged pivot of like oh i must i must meet daddy spapa spicy what is this oh because i guarantee you every one of our listeners just had that turn they were like oh he's 6'3 yes swipe right super like
1: let's go i thought you were actually asking me i was gonna say scottish accents (laughs) (laughs)
0: OK, all right. Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: Like when you when you when you're talking through people like we, we had we like had the that, Scottish accent that I did on last week's episode that just like unlocked something inside of you. A hundred percent. But like years ago, we, we worked with this company called Video Elephant, which is a video licensing company and talk to them through email or whatever. They're based in Scotland, but you speak with them through email and uh one one morning we got on the phone with them to have like a, a phone phone discussion about finalizing the partnership, and they had on one of their like content editorial managers or whatever, and her name was Sersha, and she started talking, and I was like, "Oh Sersha, Sersha, I want to roan in away with you." yeah it, was, it actually was her. she was just working as an editorial manager at some video licensing company. Yeah, it was before she got her big break. No, it was during. Like she's like, she just won she just won an award for Ladybird.
0: Just trying to hedge her bets.
1: She doesn't want to get, you know, homeless or whatever. She's gonna take that movie money and invest it. Yeah, she had just won a, an award for Ladybird, but she was just like, you know, I'm 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 not keeping all my eggs in that basket, you know. Or I'm not keeping my eggs. <laughs> I, I can't <laughs> That's like the opposite of attractive. That was that was like, like lucky charms. <laughs> yes. It's like the opposite of last episode where you tried to do an Irish accent and it was a Scottish accent. My name is Sirsha. I'm Scottish.
0: Arr, yacht don't you know? Don't you know? We're going to the end of the rainbow.
1: Sirsha. if you just send over those final deliverables, that'll get them to you in the morning. I just had me bowl of lucky charms. Let's have this meeting. Actually, actually, no. It wasn't. It wasn't lucky charm because for for us it was the morning. For them, it was because the way <laughs> this is a this this is this is exactly what the, those listeners that leave those negative comments hate. This is so far away from what we're talking about. <laughs> but the when we had this meeting, the way we we specifically worked it out because it was like it was like the it wasn't too early for us, and it was like the latest that the guy was willing to do where he was like, yeah, you know, we don't need to do a meeting. that's like at like fucking seven in the morning or something like that. So we did a meeting that was like at 8 a.m. But for them, it was 6 p.m. So it was like for us, it was pretty early, but they were trying to accommodate it, uh, accommodate us, not having to like get up at six or some bullshit. But for them, it was like, oh, they, they should be going home. Like the workday's over. So like Saoirse was like noticeably angry, but honestly, that was kind of part of it. (laughs)
0: You're just like, wow, I didn't realize I had a I had a thing for like angry, like business partners with Scottish accent. This is my new kink.
1: <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it was it definitely awakened something. Hey, you guys want to what
0: are you guys doing this weekend? You want to go to a sex club and have somebody uh, finalize contracts and initial statements?
1: And just be and just be kind of like, ang- like a little bit like passive aggressively angry about it because they want to go home. But their manager is like making them stay to talk to us. Hey, does anybody uh does anybody want to get into a good brainstorming Zoom right now? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> I'm just pitching my 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 uh my ideas at the sex club.
0: Hey, what's your uh, what's your Asana uh user uh name? What's what's your handle on Asana, you know? Are you going <laughs> to you want to uh do you have a frame IO? I log in? Do you want to just want to just want to exchange frame IO? What what are, what are the KPIs for this? <laughs> Would you, would you mind if I uh, checked out your back end and just, uh, you know, poked around in there? <laughs> I don't know. Not surprisingly, the emus discovered that farmland was highly hospitable for them. They came from the desert and they found water and crops and were like, sick, let's stay here forever with their weird tiny dinosaur heads. Also, 20,000 emus, that's crazy. How many emus were at your emu farm that you went to?
1: Yeah, it's like a couple of hundred. Like it was like half ostriches, half emus. Ostriches are a little taller and they got, you know, they look like you think of ostriches looking like. And then emus have like thicker necks and they have like brown fur looking feathers. They almost look like fur. They're like furrier in some way. Fluffier, I guess, is a better way of describing it. And there's probably there's probably like it's probably a couple hundred, maybe 50, 50 emus, 50 ostriches. That is still way too many of these fucking birds. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine, I can't imagine seeing twenty thousand emus just like fucking stampeding around. That is so many emus. There, there are
0: like whole cities in the U.S. that don't have twenty thousand people in them.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's just like a staggering amount of emus.
0: The emus descended in force on the Chandler and Walgulin areas of Australia. They feasted on the crops and tore down fences, turned over chicken coops, and let rabbits and other small wildlife into the farmland. That's really funny to me that they like almost were like surgical about it. They're like tactical squads of emus that are like we gotta take down this fence so we can let in the other wildlife and
1: together we will control this area we'll take down these fucking humans that's the thing though is like when you like what I was saying before like when you like that's not like that's totally feels like what like the personality of emus because they they have this like almost raptor like cunning look to them where it's like they look like they're they look like they're plotting to murder you
0: the farmers not wanting to take things lying down relayed their concerns about these rampaging birds to the Ministry of Defense. One, Sir George Pierce, having served in World War I, the soldier farmers began to take things into their own hands though. Not happy with how the government was functioning at the time, they started using guns to kill the emus, but they weren't effective enough. So they wrote George Pierce again and requested that he deliver machine guns to them, which he denied. So this is uh, the Ministry of Defense, It's a photo of George Pierce. What what does this guy look like, Andrew? George Pierce looks like a door-to-door soup salesman. George Pierce looks like the type of guy who eats his cereal without milk.
1: George Pierce looks like the Charmander pre-evolution to Mark Twain's Charmeleon. George Pierce looks like the type of guy that says, I don't see anything wrong with a little man-dog love. He doesn't have an eye patch. (laughs) George Pierce... Looks like he knows that he upper decked you. He just took a shit in your toilet tank and he knows that he did it and he knows that you don't know yet and he knows you're about to find out. George Pierce
0: looks like the type of guy that buys all of his clothes and then turns them inside out and then wears them inside out around his house to break them in. (laughs)
1: <laughs> George Pierce looks like he has spent the last 15 years lobbying within the Australian government to ban Japanese anime body pillows, but he secretly has the world's largest Japanese anime body pillow collection. George Pierce looks like an actor who had a highly successful career playing a
0: string of stern father figures on 1980s sitcoms and then never worked a day in the rest of his life. So the man we're describing is a Caucasian man, a little bit of a receding hairline, uh, weirdly long upper lip uh, that he's trying to hide by a mustache, wearing a tweed suit in a black and white photograph. He does not look like a party dude. He doesn't look like somebody that knows how to have a good time.
1: No, 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 Mike, no Michelangelo here.
0: No. Mm -mm. Honestly, I don't even know that he's any of the turtles. He looks like a Baxter Stockman or a muck man or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he looks like the guy that the Rat King was before he became the Rat King.
0: So here's where things ramp up even further. The farmers started talking about secession from the government because they were simply just not doing anything to curb the rapid population growth of the emus. In order to stave this off and keep this Western chunk of Australia part of the country of Australia, the government sent soldiers, weapons, and a filming crew, which in 1932 was no small feat, to go gun down the emus and film it so that there would be no
1: possible way that this could lead to a secession from the union. Marjorie Taylor Greene's like, this emu situation has got out of hand. The woke mind virus is causing emus to infect our children. The emus are grooming our children. The woke emu virus, it's time for a national divorce. We will secede from the government and live in our our, our annexed area, which, which is still infested with emus. So not only will we we be infested with emus, but we'll also just have no government assistance whatsoever because we've seceded from the government. So we'll just be a newly independent nation with a huge emu problem and no resources. This makes a ton of sense. National divorce. I
0: just love the fact that this is like a thing that they were talking about doing. They were like, okay, these giant birds are fucking up our crops. Fuck it, we're out. We're out of the fucking country.
1: Yeah, and that's such a like, I don't know if, I don't know if that's like such a melodramatic reaction or like a, or like a petty reaction just to be like, we got so many fucking emus,
0: fuck this. Or, or in 1932, is that like kind of reasonable? Cause they're like, the government isn't helping us solve this tiny problem of these fucking birds. What happens if something really serious goes down? They're not going to have our back. You know what I mean? Like, is it? I just don't have any frame of reference for what 1930s politics in Australia was like. But it seems crazy in every version of those situations. It seems crazy that the government wasn't just like, oh, you guys got a problem? No problem. We'll was like fucking carpet bomb them bitches? Like they were just in World War One. Like they have w- weapons. You know what I mean? <laughs> like,
1: yeah, it's also so funny that the, the, the Australian government was like, ah, fuck off with your bird bullshit. Like we got more important things to do. And they were like, no, we're going to fucking leave. This is serious shit. And they were like, oh, fuck. I love that they were like not taking
0: it seriously. And then as we're about to find out after the break, they initially did not take it serious enough and got their ass handed to them by these fucking emus. (laughs) Like, That's the best part of this story is how just like pride comes before the fall, man, and never underestimate one of those goddamn emus.
1: yeah. (laughs) It's 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 just it's fun. It's so it's so ridiculous. Like, I mean, we're we're getting into the actual emu war in in the in the next act. But like, just right here right now, it's this whole thing like you could totally be right. This was a reasonable reaction. This was a genuine problem. And the fact that the government wasn't reacting and providing the necessary assistance, it was completely reasonable for them to threaten to secede. Because it's like, what if you're not going to fucking do anything for us in this dire crisis, then what do we need you for? You could totally be right about that. But it's still fucking absurd and hilarious that all of this stuff is about emus. They're just like, we have to we have we've got too many fucking emus, too many emus. And the go- and the government's like ah fuck off with your emus and they're like no there's too many fucking emus we're gonna fucking secede and they're like oh shit they're really serious about this emo thing we, we gotta fucking help them with this emo shit like it's it's just like a comedy of errors you know what it feels like it feels like a
0: uh it feels like the high concept to like a a not Farley Brothers uh Fargo what the hell are the brothers' names that made Fargo oh my. The Coen Brothers. It feels like a Coen Brothers movie. If the Farley Brothers made Fargo, <laughs> I kind of would love to see a Fargo remake. Have those guys do the next season of the TV show? You know, like, come on! I think that would be amazing. <laughs> like they they made a movie about twins that were stuck together. There was a season of Fargo about twins.
1: Like, come on, let's do this. Give give the Farley Brothers a chance, man. And also the idea of like radically different styles. For like a for a, 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 a anthology TV series that takes place in the same world as a cool idea.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like what they tried to do with Solo. And then we're immediately like, oh, this is too different. No, we don't want to do that. I love it. I love it. Um, before we go to the break, uh, this is one of those stories that's kind of popular on the Internet. It kind of pops up every now and again. How did how did every now and again? How did uh, how did you first
1: hear about it? Um, funny enough, usually these stories I hear from like work, like I just at some company I worked at, we made a video about it or we made a, we someone wrote an article about it or something like that. Or I just kind of saw it. I think I, I think I actually saw this on TikTok. I just I saw somebody talking about this story on TikTok and I was like, oh, shit, that's kind of funny. And then it, but if I had known if I had known because I hadn't been to the ostrich farm yet. And if I had if I had that knowledge, if I had that wisdom, I would have been like, this is terrifying this story is a fucking lovecraftian nightmare
0: yeah i never i never want to meet an emu emu no emu move over get out of my way as i'm running away from the emu i'm gonna take you to the ostrich farm i'm gonna hold you up and let you feed them like i did with my children <laughs> i think a lot of people are gonna be asking you to hold them up and let them feed the emu after finding out that you're six three they're gonna be like mm, daddy price mm.
1: daddy spice sorry daddy spice what the hell, Dave? I thought I thought you were coping with this. I thought you I thought you overcame this. We we did a whole fucking season finale about this.
0: All right, let's go to the break and we'll be back with more Emu War. Act 2. Let the emu bodies hit the floor.
1: (laughs) You you could not think of any emu puns. Like you thought, like you went into this thinking like, oh yeah, I'm sure there's going to be like a bunch of emu puns. And then in actual execution, you didn't think of a single one. (laughs) I think let the emu bodies hit the floor is really funny. It's just putting the word emu into it. It's still funny though. It's still let the emu bodies hit the floor. It is funny, but you
0: didn't think of a single emu pun. The military actually showed up in October of 1932. The operation was overseen by Major... Gwinded Purvis Wyn Aubrey Meredith? That's a hell of a name. The operation was overseen by Major Gwinded Purvis Win Aubrey Meredith of the 7th Heavy Battery
1: of the Royal Australian Artillery that does not sound real that's that is such a like fake name from something like that is that is that is intense that's a harry potter name that's a lord of the rings name major gwinded purvis win aubrey meredith of the seventh heavy battery of the royal australian artillery that is the that's it that's the end that's the end of the fucking episode right there i'm
0: curious about like what is the language or nationality of origin of Gwyn Gwynedd? Like, is that like a Latin like an old Latin, like European name? Is it like an English, like a Saxon name? Like, what where the fuck does Gwyndid come from? I never heard that name before. Oh, it looks like it's a... Oh, and actually that makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's Welsh. That makes so much sense. They have that the longest name on earth, right? The sat town that's like Gwyndidid. Gwengl- yeah,
1: and also just like the Welsh language tends to have a lot of these like... I don't even know what you would describe it as, but like consonants stacked on top of each other like this this like did like d-d-y-d-d like I feel like there's a lot of that type of spelling in in Welsh in the Welsh language so that makes sense.
0: Two other men joined Major Meredith
1: S. McMurray and Gunnar J. O'Halloran. Gunnar J. O'Halloran was like he had the coolest name in his hometown in his school in his college and then the day and he was like he was like hot shit he's like I'm fucking I'm fucking Gunnar J. O'Halloran. And then the day he met Major Gwended Purvis Win Aubrey Meredith of the 7th Heavy Battery of the Royal Australian Artillery, it knocked him down a fucking peg. <laughs> Just to be clear, his name is not Gunner. Gunner is his title. So his title is Gunner. Well, no, but I'm, so I'm, inclu- I'm including the, the, the title because that's a part of it. Like Major Gwended Purvis win- Like it's all, it's the whole thing. So they showed up with two
0: Lewis rifles and 10,000 rounds of ammunition. My first instinct when I read this was like three guys, two guns, and a fuckload of bullets. There's no way this is gonna end well. Like they're gonna end with a. This, they're gonna. They're gonna leave their t- tails between their legs. There's no way this goes well.
1: Yeah, I think it's almost. I'm, and I'm not. I'm not even joking when I say this. But it's almost like that reaction that I had pre and post seeing the emus, where I think they probably thought like, "Oh, it's just a bunch of birds. Like we'll just shoot them. What? Like how 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 hard could it be? We just go out there and shoot them." And then they got there, and they actually were in the same physical space with twenty thousand emus, and they were like, "Crikey!" <laughs> However.
0: Nature had other plans for these men. They were delayed in their military strike because of extreme rains. But also, three men, really? There's 20,000 birds. Come on, guys, this isn't gonna go well. The rain stopped on November 2nd and the soldiers leapt into action. Their specific orders were to collect 100 emu skins so that the feathers could be used to make hats for light horsemen. On the first attempt that the men made, they traveled to Campion, where some 50 emus had been spotted. Can you imagine being one of those three soldiers? Talk about you're rolling up, you know, you're, you're in your little fucking Jeep or whatever. And you're like, I can't believe we're out here to shoot some fucking birds. This is fucking stupid. You got, you got the rifle fucking ready, mate. Yeah, i fucking so stupid. I can't believe it. And then there's just like a wall of bird meat. And you're like, oh, fuck, we are screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Especially considering they're fucking serial killer stares. Not into it. So they started out in this campion region and the birds were like way off in the distance for this first interaction that they had um they were out of range to shoot so what they did is they got a bunch of local settlers and they kind of tried to herd the emus towards this like bus that they were in and they were gonna like basically kind of flank it on either side with some settlers drive the birds towards the car and then the guys, the, you know, military guys with the rifles, the machine guns in the car, we're going to just kind of take them all out. But the birds were way smarter than that. And so what ended up happening is they got flanked by the settlers. The settlers started to try and drive them towards the truck. And then all of the birds started like splitting up into like little packs and running in different directions strategically. So they couldn't be funneled into one direction, which is insane. Um, and they, they did kill some birds in this interaction, but also most of the 50 that they were kind of trying to take out just fully escaped. The soldiers went out again a few days later on November 4th. Meredith planned an ambush near a local dam where more than a hundred emus had been spotted heading towards their position. This time the gunners laid in wait until the birds were closer before firing, but... One of the guns jammed. Only 12 of the birds were killed. In the days that followed, Meredith directed his men to move further south to little success. By the fourth day, many locals purported noticing that multiple packs of emus had found their own leaders. By day eight, 2,500 rounds of ammo had been fired, and only a few birds were dead. Maybe as few as 50, or maybe as much as 500. Accounts vary, but it's way funnier if it was probably 50. Summarizing
1: the campaign, ornithologist Dominic Cerventi said, The machine gunner's dreams of point-blank fire into serried masses of emus was soon dissipated. The emu command had evidently ordered guerrilla tactics, and its unwieldy army soon split up into innumerable small units that made use of the military equipment uneconomic. A crestfallen field force therefore withdrew from the combat after about a month.
0: The combat got very unfavorable news coverage, and so Pierce pulled the weapons. Meredith was shocked at the tenacity of the birds and said,
1: If we had a military division with the bullet-carrying capacity of these birds, it would face any army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. They are like Zulus whom even dum-dum bullets could not stop.
0: So from here, they waited a little bit, and then they made a second attempt at a military maneuver. After the withdrawal of the military, the emu attacks on crops continued. Farmers again asked for support, citing the hot weather and drought that brought the emus invading their farms in the thousands. James Mitchell, the premier of Western Australia, lent his strong support to the renewal of military assistance. Supposedly, this time, 300 emus were killed. But again, reports vary. On November 12th, the Minister of Defense approved the resumption of military efforts. Although the military had agreed to lend guns to the Western Australian government for the campaign but they didn't send any people. Meredith was again placed in the center of the action. Taking to the field on November 13th, they had their first big win. Over the first two days of the second stage of the war, they killed 40 emus. The third day proved to be far worse though. No emus were killed that day, but On December 7th, the Major and his few men killed approximately 100 emus, and they found a rhythm. He was recalled on December 10th and supposedly claimed to have killed 986 emus in that time. This geographic region of Australia requested help from the government in 1934, in 1943, and in 1948 for assistance in killing the emus, but the government turned them away. Instead, opting for cash rewards to people who could prove that they killed the birds. A bounty hunter system, basically. So, out of the 20,000 emus, they only, at the best case, when they were like, we fucking destroyed this bitch, they only killed maybe 900. And also, that probably is a lie.
1: Yeah, I mean, 100% is. That's like dudes saving face because they got fucking humiliated by f- birds
0: like there's no way that they got that amount of uh, th- that they killed those amount of birds there's just none <laughs> like which is amazing because they went out there the first time with ten thousand rounds it's also like i'm so curious about like what do you think it was like to be meredith you get sent out there suffer this humiliating defeat then the government's like we're not going to send any more people out there but we are going to send the guy who's just been humiliated by these Birds back out there. Like, I can't even imagine the level of, like, oh, fuck, here we go again. That he must have felt like driving out there again. Yeah.
1: So there, there's like, there's like three things happening here. Cause the thing we've been talking about is that, like, this was just a terrible, like, they were completely unprepared for what this was going to be. And they thought like, Oh, we could just go out there with a couple of guns and kill these birds. And then it was just way more difficult than that. Like an actual execution. And we were making the jokes about how the emus are terrifying and all that shit. When you see them up close and that's, I think that's part of it as well. And there's a second thing where it's like, also they just weren't being given support or help by the government. But then there's a third thing where it's like, there seemed to be some genuine cosmic force preventing them from killing these emus. Like, it was more than just being unprepared. Like, rain, guns were jamming. Like, what was happening? Apparently, there's
0: super intelligent, like, emu generals running things down there. The emus are just like,
1: we gotta flank these shitty humans. Like, what the fuck? They're sneaking in and, and like, jamming guns and, like, using, like, telepathic powers to make it rain. Like, what what is happening with these emus? It's so crazy because it kind of feels like something from a movie, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a it's it's like a it's it's almost like magical realism, like the frogs that rain in Magnolia. It's something like that, but it's like but it's real. Like you're and you you watch it, you'd be like, oh, this is like symbolic of something, but it's but it real it happened, and I, it's so bizarre. Like I don't. Even, it, it, it's almost kind of like we, we almost haven't even like stressed enough how fucking weird this is.
0: The only thing that's weirder than this is the fact
1: that it was made into a musical. Click on the Click on the SoundCloud. Oh, like. my God. I didn't know about this. I told you about this story. I had no idea about this. So we're going to listen. We're going to listen to the <laughs> Emu War musical called War Stories, The Great Emu War by Makai Kaur, Kaur, or Kaur and Julian Watson.
0: And that's why we all have more stories to
1: tell. <laughs> So it's just it's just a blatant Hamilton ripoff, basically.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a, what if we did Hamilton but set in Australia about the green the, the great emu war? <laughs> I wish these
1: all is fair in love and war but as heartbreak and hands grow sore morale is low
0: and tension is high
1: head is raised to a roomless sky but as the sun beams down the blood bleeds red honestly it's kind of disappointing it's funny conceptually but you want it to be like this. You you When you think like, oh, it's a great Umu War musical, you're thinking that it's going to be this funny, comedic musical. And then it's just like, oh, these people just like heard Hamilton and just wanted to do that. The the interesting thing about it to me is how serious it is. Yeah, like that's what I'm <laughs> saying is like it's it's so deadly serious, which is funny. In and of itself, it's funny. But as the actual musical, listening to it, you want it to be a musical comedy. And then it's like a hamilton bullshit thing where they tried to like take the subject and make it deadly serious and it doesn't quite work at least for me i mean i i listened to like fucking 30 seconds of it maybe i'm totally don't know what i'm talking about but it just it just wasn't what i was when whenever you showed it to me when i got excited i that's not what i was expecting it to be
0: yeah yeah you want it to be a little bit more operatic not in the style of music but in the tone of things well sorry buddy that's the only uh that's the only twist
1: i got for you that means we have to make the the definitive emo war musical emo war emo oh shit that is that what i said
0: emo war yes emo war i don't know if i'm that interested yeah, the story not, is interesting but it's not, not, not enough that interesting
1: to commit to making a musical
0: but if i have to write a musical about chris Caraba breaking up with uh, his previous band in order to form uh, dashboard confessionals you know we could, the, the 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 musical could be called the moon is down you know, mm-hmm. the moon is down and heaven is waiting. I don't know the other songs. And I'm also shooting a bunch of emus. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. We're fucking meshing them together.
0: <laughs> it's e- emu in parentheses O. Uh Let's see. What is the name of that band? Moon is down. I loved that band. Uh Oh, no, not the John Steinbeck novel.
1: Yeah, you got to specify because every band from the 2000s was named after some like mid-century literature. They've
0: been through a bunch of lead singers. Chris Caraba was the first. Further Seems Forever. Further Seems Forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was the lead singer on the first record. And then they, uh, To Start a Fire, I think was their third or second record. Something like that. Um, yeah. I. Uh, uh, yeah. How to Start a Fire is the second record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How to Start a Fire. See, look at me, look, look, look at us. Who'd have thought? Who would have ever thought? Not me. Not those emus. Not those fucking emus. Um, do you got any any big takeaways from this episode, or is this just a goofy story? And it's kind of funny.
1: It, I mean, yeah, it's a goofy story and it's kind of funny first and foremost. But it's, uh, I, I think the 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 interesting aspect of it, if you're trying to find an interesting aspect of it, is it's like it's like the most over the top example of like the hubris of man within a civilized society where some an issue that is like so over the top absurd and goofy is m- so mishandled and mismanaged because everybody along the way just didn't take it that seriously and thought that it would just be this easy thing to do and it it's 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 almost like it it's it's a it feels like one of those like resetting moments where It humbles you and makes you realize like, oh, yeah, like I'm not the shit. Like maybe maybe I maybe I'm not like as infallible as I thought I was. Maybe, you know, everything in life isn't just some blase thing that doesn't matter. And I'm sure that it humbled all those people in that way. And that's and, and that's interesting because it's I mean, it's so ridiculous, this particular story. But I feel like those types of things happen a lot. In individually and um, in in societies, you have those humbling moments where something just has to go like really south in an absurd way to make everybody involved re- feel really stupid so they can be like, oh, shit, maybe I should start like paying attention a little bit more and trying a little bit harder. And I, I don't know if they did that. I don't know if like the the Australian government like learned from that or whatever. Um, but you can certainly look at back on it and learn from it and be like, oh, yeah, like m- even whenever it's as ridiculous as a bunch of emus invading a town, like, you know, don't don't get too high on your own shit that you think that like you can't be bested by anything. You know, it's like it's like a, it's like an interesting uh, story as like a it's like a morality play about not being too arrogant, I guess. Yeah to me it's just kind of echo what you said it's
0: there's also something very scary in it that's almost kind of like life is a weird complex soup of fucked up stuff and sometimes it sounds stupid and you end up in really dangerous shitty situations but if things sound stupid enough all of our social conventions will just fail you. 20,000 emus
1: is terrifying And the government was just like, nah, conceptually, that's fucking dumb. Like, let's ignore that. Even though if you if you thought about it for three seconds, that's a huge problem. But because it's emus and that's funny and goofy, it's just like, oh, that's stupid. Which is really scary today because I feel like stupid shit happens with increasing
0: levels of frequency every five minutes. And when you sound the alarm bells, people are like, nah, that's too stupid. Nothing's going to happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to get too far into this, because I feel like this is like, I mean, I think it's relevant, but it's also just veering so much into like a cerebral thing that's almost the story is not actually like deserving of. Like, I can just hear people saying it's not that serious. Uh, But like that, that's totally accurate. I think that I think you're totally right about that. Like, that was a big discussion point and theme, I think, of the QAnon series, which was Everybody thought this was so dumb and so absurd that you that it just should be ignored. And obviously, this could never actually be a real problem because it's so stupid and their beliefs are so ridiculous. And while it was being ignored in that way, it was growing and festering and getting worse and worse to the point where it actually started to have real life negative effects on reality and society outside of the Internet specifically because people thought it was just some dumb thing that, like, who gives a shit? This is so stupid. Um, and that's, like, a much bigger example of that than this emu war thing. But, I, yeah, I think you're totally right. Like, the it's almost like a asymmetrical warfare. Like, I mean, obviously the emus didn't do this on purpose. I mean, maybe they did. Maybe they're fucking much smarter than we all think. And this entire thing was premeditated. But it's an example of a way that you can use absurdity to trojan horse your attack into some kind of system you know long story short it's terrifying on every level the birds are terrifying the
0: fact that our social safety net just won't save you if things get really silly um uh the fact that they sent two guys with two guns out there (laughs)
1: like
0: yeah it's fucking nuts man not into it
1: but that's a lot of emus
0: i'm dave baker And I'm Spandrew Spice. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me online at heydavebaker.com. Spandrew, where can they find you on the internet?
1: You can find me out at the ostrich farm feeding the emus. It's kind of funny because they they try to just take the bucket from you. Like you hold out the little bucket and they just try to take it. Because they're just like, why would I just eat this out of your hand? I'm going to take the whole fucking bucket. So you have to hold on to it because they try to just take it away from you, which is very funny to watch. And you can't find me on social media because I'm not on social media. But if you want to pay respects to the dear beloved Papa Pricey, you can get his book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye, by going to DAPriceWrites.com, picking it up there. You can follow us on social media at Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook. You can join the Facebook group, Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group, where we talk about the show and make memes. You can join our Bitly server, Bitly server, Discord server, bitly.com slash Deep Cuts Discord, where we talk about the show, make memes, talk about other stuff, do little games and things like that. You can follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. You can follow us on TikTok at Mystery Treehouse. You can go to our website, deepcutspod.com, click on the shop, and you can get hats and T-shirts and all kinds of stuff. You can get our Mystery Treehouse Junior Sleuth patch, and you can uh, get ready for our upcoming emo, emu musical.